Hi, Father Anthony. Hi, Father Harrison. How are you doing? Oh, I'm actually doing pretty good. That's good. I'm actually doing decent as well. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I knew. I, for those who don't know, I was like struggling. What am I going to do for my banter topic? I know what I'm going to do. What are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm going to I I'm going to so move the, some more products. The idea of banter is to make it sound like uh, conversational and natural. Well, it is conversation, but you've got to have something to talk about, right? <laughs> but so. when you say, I shouldn't be doing this either. This is ruining everything. <laughs> but you shouldn't say, oh, <laughs> no for the banter segment today, let's banter about this. Anyway. I'm going to move sorry. some more product. Okay. What? What are you, what are you selling? What are you, what, are you, what are you shilling? Have you heard of Instant Pot? Instant Pot? Uh, uh, I mean, I've heard of it. I don't actually know what it is. So, so, I mean, some people think it's just a pressure cooker. It is a pressure cooker, but it also does like a lot more things. So it's a, it is a fantastic way to cook. So I have sucked since leaving seminary with cooking. Sure. I was okay with it when I was, I was okay with it before seminary, but then seminary, they cook for you and that's just the way it is. Um, but I yeah I once I got out I was just going and especially when I was at the cathedral I mean I'm downtown I can just walk there's 10 restaurants within a two-minute radius right and mm-hmm. when you're cooking for one it's not always easy sure the problem with this is it's not healthy either going out all that for food and where I am now there's not a lot of places to go out to that are quick unless it's fast food so I've been eating more fast food which isn't the best mm-hmm. and I've been like I need to become as father Dan likes to say a healthy eating fella yes and H-E-F. Absolutely. So I broke out. My my, parent, my mom actually got me an Instant Pot two years ago for Christmas, and it's just been sitting in my closet. Wow. And I, broke, I broke it out like two weeks ago because I just bought all this chicken at Costco thinking, okay, I got to start eating healthier. And I was like, I got to figure out ways to cook this faster because th- this is the thing, folks. When you're a priest, often you might only have like 30 to 45-minute break in the evening. So spending all that time prepping food it becomes unreasonable and also not even that <clears throat> so like if you're in a family if you don't eat that usually also means your family doesn't eat so it becomes more priority but for us right. a lot of times i'm like well i mean i can have like uh, a half a yogurt and get about my business because yeah. you know i'm not responsible for the feeding and I'll keeping alive those children it'll be right? fine <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll be fine <laughs> so i uh i broke it out last week uh-huh and i made teriyaki chicken Ooh, schmancy. And it took me 25 minutes. Was it delightful? Was it delicious? It was fantastic. Aww. And then this week, I made chicken noodle soup. Whoa. Homemade chicken noodle soup. And it took me... That one That one took a little bit longer the first time because I was cooking the chicken from Frozen and I made a mistake on the cooking time okay. for the chicken. Because this is the thing. It chi- if it cooks like an unfrozen chicken breast in like 8 to 10 minutes. Okay. Which is fast. <laughs> right. So This is why it's great, folks. It and it, and the chicken noodle soup was amazing. Um, good, you didn't really get the, you didn't get the botulism. I did not get the botulism. No, good. this is why. And this is a, I, to my, our brother priest who listen. I would highly encourage looking into this for for a few reasons. All the cooking happens in one thing. You mm-hmm. don't have four or five pots going at once. You don't have to turn on the oven or anything like that. It often the recipes are portioned enough that you can have leftovers. Like I had chicken noodle soup on Monday night. And for lunch on Tuesday, and for dinner on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So that was plenty of leftovers. Um, it it's quicker. It is definitely like if I was going to make homemade chicken noodle soup just on a stovetop, it's going to take me a lot longer. Sure. Um, and so the quickness, the ease, and everything being in one spot, I think I'm going to become a cooking fella. A cooking fellow. See, I love I love this for two reasons. One, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself and cooking food that is that is relatively mm-hmm. more healthy for you. That's excellent. Yep. But also, too, I love this because I'm sure a bunch of people are like, "Yeah, Father Harrison, it's an instant pot. Everyone knows this." I know. <laughs> I just never did it. It was buying a big thing of chicken. Because here's the thing: the other thing is chicken at Costco is really cheap. Heck yeah. <laughs> When you buy like you get like ten chicken breasts for what you could get for like three or four at a grocery store, mm-hmm. so I was like, I gotta figure out ways to cook this, but I also have to freeze it, right? So the instant pot's great because you just throw in the frozen chicken breasts and just cook it for about four minutes longer than you would unfrozen, and it's fine. So you you got the instant pot. You've bought yeah. yourself two twenty pound dumbbells as well. Oh yes, I have. I 
I haven't done the. Dumb- I still have to do- get into the dumbbells. You you do because you'll be unstoppable. Fueled by chicken and weightlifting, you'll you'll yeah. conquer the world. It'll be great. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. Father Harrison, I got the best email of my entire <laughs> life. It has changed my life. It has changed my spirituality. It oh. is the convergence of of Everything. all of my loves and passions into one email, and it's not even the email per se. It's just the P.S. at the bottom. So uh, I'm working with a family. They've got a, a case of the demons. This happens every once in a while. I send an email to um, the guy at the diocese who handles these sort of things so I can do the right things, ask the right questions. He sends me an email. But at the bottom he says, P.S. Bring your wrestling belt. Demons fear professional wrestlers. What? And this is great <laughs> because in my mind now, the exorcism right is just a wrestling promo introducing the reigning defending undisputed heavyweight champion of creation jesus christ my savior will beat victimize and conquer all those who dare to afflict the children of god what you gonna do brother when jesus christ comes for you and then as you're doing the exorcism St. Peter walks into the ring and she yells, if you smell what the rock is cooking. You know how, you know, um, isn't that uh, great? It's great. It's great. You know, uh, we're, we're going to go this for a little bit longer. You know how, uh, sometimes the exorcist will, um, through the power of Christ, ask the demon to reveal themselves, like what they yeah. are. So I just imagine the exorcist going like, so what's your name? And the demon's about to speak. It doesn't matter what your, what name, your name is. is. <laughs> know your role and shut your mouth. Oh my gosh, I've never wanted to be an exorcist so badly. This is—I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have to technically follow the ritual and stuff. But in my in my brain, this is what's happening. It's You're a just doing a stone promo. cold stunner to a demon. Exactly. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited. And then I am. shotgunning holy water. Yes, exactly. Just take two cans of holy water. <laughs> There's a bunch of like really niche Catholic um, shops and stuff. There's got to be cans of holy water somewhere and use what, that. What's the name of uh, Shawn Michaels' kick again? Uh, super kick. Uh, uh, sweet chin music. Sweet chin music. Yeah, just do a sweet chin music to uh, the Boom. demon. You're just standing yep. there as Toot. he's like screaming. You're just like stomping your foot on the ground. Tuning up Boom. the band. <laughs> I literally cannot stop thinking about this. It makes me so happy. Today was a regular day. It has become the best day. And I'm just, I can't stop thinking of putting wrestling promos into exorcism rites. And it makes me happy. So I just wanted to share my joy. And even if you don't like wrestling, come on. That's, that's brilliant. That's good stuff right there. So I'm in a great mood today. You want to know who else wrestled to bring philosophy and theology together? Sacred Ooh. scripture and Aristotle. St. Thomas Aquinas and the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about I figured out what's the problem with our transitions. Okay. So the problem is we're always transitioning to the same thing. Right. And so it becomes difficult to have multiple transitions to the same thing. Right. If maybe, and this is way too complicated for us, but what we could do is transition to the first tweet we're going to do. Oh. I think that I like would, this. That would require like this. more work than maybe we're willing well, or capable of doing, but it's I'm following like, the idea out there. I like I like the challenge. Right. I like the challenge, and here's why I like it. Okay. Is because, um, then it, like, if for those who listen to stuff like the Sub Beacon, sure, where the master of transitions lives, mm-hmm. Victory and Mattis, sure, uh, he takes time, he crafts a story to bring it into what he wants to talk about, mm-hmm. and I kind of like this. 
we'll have to ponder this because I think the next time we're recording will be for oh no we will record one before SLS but maybe this can be a goal for SLS I think it's a good goal for SLS all right let's ponder let's mm-hmm. pray so the the Summa uh, Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So the first one is, uh, we're going to go a little in-house here, a little okay. in-house. It's from, um, it is from our, our newest assistant, Riley, and she tweets this simple tweet. Hello, I love airports. That's it. That's the truth. I'm I'm very angry and confused by this for multiple reasons. One, I have been off Twitter for <laughs> Advent. I'm taking a Twitter fast. Yeah. I uh, checked uh, the priest DMs last Sunday, and that's been about it. So I am unaware of of the tweets. And this is the first thing I come back to Twitter for the sake of the podcast. I break the yeah. fast momentarily, and yeah. we get this tweet: "Hello, I love airports." Yeah. And it's true. Father Airports Harrison, are you, the greatest. What? What? Yes. Wait. Air, now, now, okay. Sorry. I just took a swig of coffee and it went down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, Riley goes on to say, like, everyone is the worst version of themselves and no one wants to be there, but they have to be there be to get where they are going. It's brilliant. She goes, this is a peak anthropological study. But here's why I, this is why airports are awesome. And I, don't, I actually don't think it's because people are the worst versions of themselves. It has nothing to do with the people. Although, okay, sorry, it does to an extent. For me, airports are like a retreat. Go on. No meetings. Okay. <laughs> no one complaining about things going on in the parish. I mean, someone can call my cell phone, but what am I supposed to be able to do? I'm in an airport. I can't leave it to get back to deal with your thing. Um, it is a place of leisure. It is actually, I would call it the agora of leisure. It is the gathering place of leisure. And I just love it when I get there. I put my feet up. I break open a book. And I just wait. And it is amazing. I love airports. I love flying. If I had to live in them, I would do it in an instant. I'm very worried about you. Why? Because there are better places to, like, aren't you more excited for the place you're going? Why be excited for the airports? Like, isn't it better to be, like, wherever you're supposed to be, on vacation, on retreats? Just as the medievals both loved theology and loved secular wisdom for its own sake, so you can love the goal of where you're going and love the place where you're having to wait to go to your destination as well. This is a deep insight into your psyche that I was not prepared for this day. (laughs) And I'm still worried about you. I'm going to fast and pray for your conversion because there's some sort of spiritual sickness here. Um, And I can't quite pin it down, but it's distressing me. Okay, so (laughs) let's just pick a random one from Animizing Christmas. An amazing, an amazing Christmas, an amazing Christmas from A Music Muse. And she says, if we prayed for our church leaders as much as we complained about them, the church would look much different today. Yeah, yeah. So two things. One, believe me when I say I deeply understand and empathize the difficulties, struggles, anger directed at various church leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure I've even done things in my three years as a priest that have made people like angry at me. I get that. I get being angry, and I think there's a certain time and place to talk about these things in a productive way, in a way where you're like, I need to discuss my frustrations. I get that. Uh, but so often we kind of leave it at that step. And we forget that like prayer... <laughs> actually works um there's a uh, group i think they're called the seven sisters i didn't I, I didn't hear about them until i came to this parish but this mm-hmm. group of women in my church they have one lady offering a holy hour every day for each priest in my parish 
Wow. So every day there is, there's one of these ladies offering a holy hour for me. And I've already begun to experience the graces of that. And Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how grateful I am. And Mm -hmm. there's tons, I mean, there's people praying for priests all the time. And I can't imagine where I would be in my soul and my ministry if people weren't praying for me constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the same thing does, and it can be distressing because a lot of times we want prayer to be a mechanism. We want it to like, I prayed this much so the church should get this much better. And that's that's not how the providence of God works. But don't let not seeing results right away keep you from praying for church leaders because they need it we need it and that's how the church grows in holiness i can't add anything to that hell yeah i think i think you got it perfect father good takes that's all father i am well i guess that's what happens when you get off twitter <laughs> yeah i start i start getting good takes instead of exactly, exactly. weird jokes <laughs> yeah and hot takes so uh this is from rachel bullman at rachel bullman just got home from teaching an RCA class on the liturgical year and places in the church. Gosh, guys, the church is so detailed and beautiful and intentional and so full. My heart is so full. Gah, I, the church is alive. Now, Father Anthony, can you see that tweet in our SUMA DM? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the date. December 6th. Yeah, what day was? What day of the week was that? That was uh, December the, the 6th. Yeah, but what day of the week? week? Was that was that Saturday? Nope. Sunday? Nope. Monday, Tuesday, nope. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Friday. Okay, what happened Friday? Who has RCAA on Fridays? <laughs> I have no idea. We have ours Thursdays. When do you have yours? We don't uh we don't have one this year. Oh, sad. Yeah. But Oh, right. So RCIA, they're doing yeah. RCIA on a Friday night. This seems crazy to me. Well, I think there's only two ways to spend your Friday night. There are two options. One is to either go to RCIA or help out at it, or two is to go around and sin a bunch. Those are the only two things people do on Fridays anyway. Go to so the club? When you wait, go wait. To the... So wait, wait, what do you do? Since you don't have RCIA on Fridays, what are you doing? Oh, I, I do a double holy hour. Oh, okay. But you yeah. just said those are the only two options for it's, Fridays. It's, it's a RCIA double holy or hour. Go I, it's a double holy hour with cheese. I, I get a <laughs> a double quarter pounder and I sit in my chapel and I pray and munch on. Uh, a no meat double quarter pounder. Oh right, I, I'm messing this all up. Uh, yeah, maybe I should help out. Maybe we should have our say classes on Friday. <laughs> no, but I think your point is that this person is going to a church thing on a Friday, yeah, exactly. which on the surface sounds lame, but like she's so excited and she's learning more and more about the church. And I love this because this will happen every once in a while. Okay where someone like dives into the church and realizes it's this whole universe of beauty and it all works and clicks the theology, the tradition, um, the great love that God has shown us. So it's really nice to see something like that. Someone just, just gushing. Now, for the sake of, I, I did, this is a bit of a bit because I, I, this was my response to her, right? Like, who the heck is RCA on a Friday? And then she goes, <laughs> well, our Christmas city parade was last night on Thursday and everything shuts down, so it got moved to tonight. Okay. Floats over Jesus, she said. So that's actually why they had RCA on a Friday night. I just thought it was really funny that someone was having RCA on a Friday night. It was it was funny to me. That's it. That, that was... It's also great to see how, yeah, how enthusiastic she was about the RCA lesson and everything. This is great. I think it's great, too, that a lot of people still made the sacrifice to go on a Friday night because that is often it's the beginning of most people's weekends. It's a night of more leisure or whatever. It's great. It's all good. It's all good. I just thought it was funny. RCA oh, on a Friday. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, this is from Father A.J. Damascus Sh- Damasus. Sorry, <laughs> Shrank. Uh, and he has this quote from Flannery from he has this quote from Flannery O'Connor. Oh, the so things good. we are obliged to do, such as hear mass on Sunday, fast and abstain on days appointed, etc., can become mechanical and merely habit. But it's better to be held to the church by habit than not to be held at all. The church Go down is, further. Yeah. Yeah. The church is a the church is mighty realistic about human nature. Further, it is not at all possible to tell what's going on inside the person who appears to be going about his obligations mechanically. We don't believe that grace is something you have to feel. The Catholic always distrusts his emotional reactions to the sacraments. Man, Flannery O'Connor is so freaking hardcore. Uh, I love it. I love you it. You know, this is, I think I may mention this before. But even if you're not into her stories, you think they're too violent or too grotesque, um, one, that's what makes them so cool. But two, read her letters. Her letters and her thoughts, she's hilarious. What was, uh, and she has a spiritual journal out, and it's so funny because it reads such like a, a 
college kids spiritual journal with all the flaws and all the the zeal of it at one point in time she's writing about how good she is at letter writing and she's disappointed because she's so good at letter writing but she never can receive her own letters and she's just like musing about this she's just she's great she's great um and yeah the point here is habits good yeah and it's better to be bound to good habits and feel them mechanically than not to be bound at all. And sometimes we forget about this. Um, and this can be a huge trap in the spiritual life where we gauge our spiritual life and our discernment of spirits only goes as far as, do I feel good about this? Mm-hmm. And that's a really unhealthy way because you begin to love more God's gifts than God himself. And you can end up really detaching yourself from God and worshiping your own feelings and emotions. So it's a great point. It is a great point. So. This kind of tied into, I'm going to kind of take this as like a jumping off point for something. Okay. Because I think your point is absolutely essential. I think it actually needs to be heard today more than ever because feelings, now feelings are good. Yes. Okay? Correct. They, they are part of our human nature. Affectivity, emotion, feeling, these are all part of what it means to be human. But how do we receive them? How do we use them? is always an important question worthy of conversation and reflection. And her point here is to say that the spiritual is more important than the physical. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't denigrate the physical. It's just saying this grace works in a deeper mode than what can be sensed by our body, is what she's saying. Our body can't sense... Our, our body becomes a means through which grace is communicated. Absolutely. Our body can have a, a, a bodily, if you quote-unquote, reaction to, to grace in a good way. And that's fine mm-hmm. with through feelings and emotions. But ultimately, grace is something invisible and can't be scientifically or emotionally analyzable. Now, I think I know why we put such an emphasis on feelings today. I, this is something that's been a brainworm for me for the last few weeks. Because we are such, we are we experience a spiritual nihilism in a very strong way, which means we feel nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, and we know we should feel something, and so we're clinging to anything we can feel to know, like, am I human? <laughs> Is, am I alive? Yeah. <laughs> Is God real? Do the sacraments work? Because it, it, it's like a cry. It's a cry of the heart to say. I need to feel something. So all of this is to say, though, that I think a great way to kind of emphasize um, Flannery's point is to look to Mary. Because I love, like, it was the Immaculate Conception's gospel. She pondered these things in her heart. Mary probably experienced the whole set of emotions but because of her sinlessness didn't just give in to them right away or didn't go out seeking them but she pondered them in her heart what is happening to me why am i feeling this what's going on in my and how is god at work in this and i think that is a first step towards a more integrated vision of human emotions and feelings and stuff like this because that is that is actually, if you want to know a sign of God's grace working in you, it's that you don't act on your emotional response right away, but rather you attempt to integrate it through prayer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who's a, a really good Thomist? Who? Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah, she read uh, Thomas constantly. And yeah. I think it's important to just to add to what you're saying is that mm-hmm. emotions always do communicate something. Absolutely. But sometimes we're not quite sure what they communicate. I remember when I first felt called to the or at first was this whole discernment thing was going on with the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Whenever anybody would say that I would make a good priest or if I thought about seminary, I would get incredibly angry. Mm-hmm. I would just get so <laughs> ticked off. And that was telling me something. And if you just took that at face value, it would be, um, I shouldn't be a priest, right? Because I'm getting angry yeah. at the thoughts. But really it was because I was so attached to other things and where was that anger coming from? Why? So the reflection on the emotional experience, when you begin to do that, when you begin to become aware of your emotions, because a lot of times it's not like we feel an emotion and we think to ourselves, oh, I will now act on that emotion. It's just that we feel and we act right away. Um, we don't even realize what we're feeling. We're just acting out of that feeling. Exactly. But the more the Christian can reflect on his or her feelings that becomes a great tool for the sermon of spirits and mm-hmm. can bring a lot of clarity and wisdom 
and peace ultimately to your spiritual life. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it, I was, I was starting, I was preaching on this, like I'm still kind of walking around this a little bit, but I was preaching on this this morning when Jesus talked about like, are you the yoke is easy and the burdens light and I'll give you rest to your souls. And the opening prayer was talking about the, the, uh, the healing physician and, I just thought like it's about really re- reorienting the relationship between body and soul. Like we, we give into this feeling element so quickly because we think this is, this is how I am a human. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, your feelings are part of how you're human, but how we o- often react to our feelings is, is in a fallen way. Mm-hmm. Right now I recognize, I'm also saying this from, I'd call a male perspective yeah. and I, and I'm sure there's something to learn from women about this too, about how this is all integrated. But I think actually someone like Flannery uh, is a great stepping stone to this. And I think Mary really does show us this, like, this is why it's like, no, no. Yeah, it's good. But don't act on it right away. Ponder it. Right. Or Ponder I just, it. I mean, as a, a witness of uh, the feminine perspective, yeah. I remember, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but, um, when the uh, shootings happened at the Tree of Life synagogue, uh, I was at a women's conference. Yeah. And um, someone had come up to me in the middle of mass saying that this thing had happened. And I wasn't sure exactly what was going on or what to say or what to do in that moment. I was just a priest helping out the mass. Uh, the bishop was saying the mass. Mm-hmm. And word got to him during the mass as well that this had happened. And so uh, near the end of mass, he announces this. And we're going to you know, pray for this you know there are people in this terrible tragedy but my first instinct was to kind of pack away the emotion okay what do we do how do we keep things ordered and organized but when the bishop announced that this had happened and have like several hundred women in this room who immediately felt the tragedy mm-hmm. and it, they all gasped and it like hit me like a like a wave like a wave <laughs> and i realized how important it was like this is a tragedy and we need to sit with this yeah for a moment and i wouldn't have done that if i didn't have that witness from the woman in that room right. like oh yeah right. you know because it's much easier for me to pack it away to go about my business um but they're um what they felt and experienced in that moment just through hearing the words um because uh, the emotions the intellect the imagination is so much more intertwined um mm-hmm. and it was important for me to experience that um so yeah just as an, exa- cool. as an example yeah this would be this could be we could talk a lot more about this, but I think it's just a, I, I really, really love that quote from Flannery. I'm really mm-hmm. glad you chose it because I think there's a lot there. Cool. Well, let's uh, move on to some good old presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh. What are we going to talk about? Well, you're not on Twitter, so you don't see what I'm talking about. You don't you don't see anything. No, you I am. You, you, you can't see me. <laughs> I cannot see you. You are the John Cena. Um, <laughs> I am blissfully unaware, but now yeah. I get to experience the surprise. I get to go on a journey with you through Presbyterian <laughs> exhortations. So whom is this well, to say who is having the better experience right now? So well, this is this is good. So we we've talked a little bit about scripture before. Yep. And you've had your hesitations around stuff like the historical critical method. Of course. Right. And so I've been doing. So I, I was. Um, this is the fruit of some of my study. Um, I was writing a paper on Ratzinger's understanding of the under of the word reason like what does he mean by this word and that's not oh. my topic I just this is the the lily pad that I jump off of and so as I was looking into this I was reading his habilitation thesis on Bonaventure and I came across some quotes about how the medievals understood theology that really piqued my interest how do you think a medieval would have defined theology it maybe let's just go just before thomas uh before thomas uh uh, faith seeking understanding yeah what would be the main how do i want to put the question what do you think most medievals would use as their basis for theology uh that's a good question um I know the ancients would consider 
at least especially in the East, um, the theologian was one who kind of pierced the mysteries of who God is. Mm-hmm. So unless you were writing about the Trinity or Christ in a specific sort of way, you were not considered a theologian. Uh, medievals in the West, I'm not sure. Scripture. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, what ha- just a little history, because I want to talk about the, the, the four senses of Scripture today. And I w- I'm going to use the catechism, actually, as a guide. You know, paragraphs 115 to 119 uh, speak of this in the life of the church. But before I do, I just want to kind of give a little brief history lesson. Um, I've been, for spiritual reading, I've been reading uh, Dulubach's Medieval Exegesis. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it sounds weird to say I'm using an academic book for spiritual reading, but it actually has been very fruitful for my spiritual life. Um, this is actually what you're supposed to do with theology. Yeah, exactly. You should be praying with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's been very enlightening on on a, on a whole bunch of levels. But um, so, what happened with Bonaventure, for example, is he encountered Pseudo-Dionysius, and Pseudo-Dionysius looks at theology as God, the communication of God. Okay, so if if theology proper, like theology qua theology, theology properly so called, is God's conversation within Himself, then how does God communicate with man? Mm-hmm. Right, it has to be through human words. Right. That's how humans. So Dionysius would say would say this, and then so Bonaventure kind of picks up on this, and he says, "Well, then that's and this is actually the way most uh, most theologians would approach um, theology. It was it was bi- that scripture itself was theology, and it was the most perfect form of theology itself. And so, how do you how do you deepen your sense of understanding? You deepen your study of scripture." This is what was done. Um, things change a little. I know some Thomists might not agree with me on this or whatever. Um, and I and I, I admit I'm just speaking from what I've read so far. Well, you're um, already sure you already ticked off the Thomists because you've mentioned bon, uh, Bonaventure like three times. So they, Bonaventure and well, that's because I'm I'm researching rats here, and Bonaventure is huge for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas makes this change. He talks about the you see for and up until Thomas like so for, um, for Thomas though um, theology becomes a speculative science which starts to at least and and it starts to at least move away from the idea of scripture being the heart of theology. It's not saying he doesn't. Scripture is huge for Thomas. He's still a child of his age and and and, and Thomas was a great lover of scripture and he still incorporated I'm just saying, like it that that change of phrasing um, starts in the commentaries and stuff like this later on. Start to kind of bring a, a shift to how we do theology. Um, but for the longest time, essentially, theology qua theology was the interpretation and exegesis of scripture, and tradition was how the fathers interpreted scripture. Gotcha. Yeah. So these two things were always held together. You read the scriptures, great. And how do you know you're on the right track of how you're reading the scriptures? Do you look at how the fathers interpreted them? Mm-hmm. And I, I, as I'm reading more into this, I'm like, a. It saddens me. And this maybe we can talk about this before I go into the four senses because it seems to me that most of the time, the way we talk about scripture in homilies, in teaching, etc., we only talk about the literal sense. Uh, explain. By this, I mean, we look, let's say um, we're looking at, um, I'm trying to think of something where historical critical method would be helpful or something like that. Anyways, um, you what know, about looking the, at scene, Eye of yeah, the Needle. Eye of the Needle. Okay. Eye of the Needle. Yeah, yeah. So what would happen in a... And I'm not saying... This is all good stuff. Like, you need to know this literal sense stuff, right? And, and even the medievals, like, everyone's like, no, no, literal sense is absolutely important and essential because it is the basis for going into the other senses. But, you know, uh, um, if we're preaching, we would say to people, well, to understand what Jesus means by this phrase, this is what it means for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. An eye of a needle is actually not like the eye of a needle that you use for threading, but it's it's a proper door that a camel would have to bend itself down towards to get through. Um, that's that's uh, this historical critical stuff that helps yep. us understanding the literal sense of the text. That's all good. But that seems to be as far as we go when we're preaching. We explain the literal sense to people. But 
over the history of the and, and again we kind of lost there's a whole bunch of reasons we lost this after the reformation um well we started to lose it even before it i would say probably around the 1400s um and only now in the last century has the four senses started to regain a prominence in the life of the church um but even in our preaching we, we tend to say this is like we're going to explain to you the historical circumstances or this is what it means in light of Judaism or first century or you know um, second temple Judaism or whatever right like or if we're going to like if we're talking about the creation account let's talk about the near east situation of Gen- of Genesis yeah. of Okay, so I think it's all good things, right? right, I'm not saying that. I don't think it's just, I think the emphasis is is the literal, but also I think it's the literal and moral. If you hear a lot of preaching today, it's the literal and the moral sense. Uh, Moral sense meaning, what do you do now? Uh, Right. What's the right way to act now that you have heard the scripture? I think you get both of those. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I would agree there. And I think, I mean, that's my other little beef is that we fall into a pragmatism around preaching. Yes, because I think it's it to go into the spiritual sense of scripture, uh, you have to be spiritual. Uh, exactly. And this has to come out of prayer, self-reflection, a pursuit of holiness. And if you're just studying and telling people to do good things, you can avoid the the struggles of the interior life. Right. So, and yeah, exactly. And, and not just that, it's we, at least in North America, our culture is very pragmatist yeah right so most people i get it they're coming in they're like i want three steps for my for my faith life that i can take and how does this this relate to my life this gets to a deeper debate around the relationship between truth and praxis okay okay and i'm not going to get into it but just trust (laughs) me when i say truth is greater than praxis it's always going to be greater than praxis praxis flows from truth but truth is the most important thing. And we, we essentially, this is Ratzinger's point around relativism and everything. We're not a culture where truth takes priority. We're actually in a culture that praxis takes priority. And that's actually antithetical to the preaching of the gospel. So anyways, so, but, um, but I would say for the first 1500 years of Christianity, more or less, I'm, I'm definitely getting very, um, I'm not getting super detailed about all this. The four senses was the way all Christians approach scripture. Now, why do you th- like before we go into the four senses? We know that there's that first distinction between like the literal sense and the and the spiritual sense, mm-hmm. right? Why why do you think the church kind of grasped this logic very quickly in terms of the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament? As a kind of a, I'm I'm going to give you a hint with that. Wait, uh, grasp the logic of what? So like the lo- grasp the logic of the literal sense and the spiritual sense of oh, scripture. Okay. Yes. By looking at the relationship between the Old and New Testament. Okay, it's because um, the all of Scripture really ends up pointing to Christ, mm-hmm. and so to understand that the New Testament reveals what was hidden in the old, um, the New Testament is yeah. So if you're going to, if you know that as truth, because Christ Himself says it uh, on the road to Emmaus, He points out how all the Scriptures are are about Him. Then you have to, and, but when you look at the Old Testament, you're like, this doesn't sound like it's about Jesus Christ, or at least not the Jesus I know. There has to be something deeper behind these words. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. It, it, this is what we would call typology, right? Yeah. So, for example, uh, Paul in his letter to the Romans compares Jesus as the new Adam with the old Adam from Genesis, right? That's a typology. The old finds its fulfillment and completion and surprise in the new. You can't. You can't reason from the literal sense to what Jesus happened that because of the Christ event, there's now a deeper meaning through the literal. Like it's very sacramental. Yeah. This literal points us to something more spiritual without destroying the literal. Okay. Right. And I would say because of this typology, this is where this, this interpretation comes in the life of the church. So, um, so this is what the catechism says in paragraph one. Uh, I was actually surprised to read this in the catechism because the catechism actually gets very strong. Listen to this. According to an ancient tradition, one can distinguish between two senses of scripture, the literal and the spiritual, the latter being subdivided into the allegorical, moral, and agogical senses. The profound concordance of the four senses guarantees all its richness to the living reading of scripture in the church. 
So I'll talk about what those different senses mean in a second. Um, but I think that last phrase is so important. Reading scripture is not about reading a historical document. Which is, this is my beef around like why we get to like this kind of, I would say more the, the, that literal sense around preaching. We're just treating it as something in the past. Yeah. No, 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 no. When we're reading scripture, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's always opening up the soul to delve deeper, like a sacrament, into the words of scripture. And, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about Lexio Divina at the end, because I think Lexio is a great way to delve into that spiritual sense, um, where it's not trying to read something, not trying to read a different, a deeper meaning into it, but rather letting a deeper meaning be revealed to you. Right. Which is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is always to unveil and to reveal. But, and that means it's a living reading. That means scripture is always the word of God spoken to us. Scripture itself is not the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Right? Dei verbum. Right. Um, but the Holy Spirit's the one who reveals to us this deeper meaning. He starts to unveil things for us as long as we give him time and space to do this. And that's we get that that spiritual sense. So does that make sense so far? Yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. But I think like this is the thing, like, man, if we start to see scripture this way, it's like actually scripture is vital to the life of the church. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Like I'm really yeah. I'm actually this is beautiful for me because like for me personally, I can say that it's really helping me delve more deeply into using scripture in my time of prayer, just reading it personally in my own time, seeing like because this is the way theology was done for so long, this is absolutely vital. Yeah. So then the catechism goes on. The literal sense is the meaning conveyed by the words of scripture and discovered by exegesis following rules of sound interpretation all other senses of sacred scripture are based on the literal so this is important it's to say you can't you this is what this is actually the heart of why i've mentioned before why i hate those tropes of like if zacchaeus is on the tree people will preach what is the tree in your life that helps you see jesus that is bad exegesis and that's bad interpretation of scripture uh, it's almost like it, but something like that. It's kind of like um, the Kirkland brand spiritual sense. It's, it's trying to point something beyond the literal words, right? But does so in such a shallow way that it's not terribly helpful, right? So you and can see what people sort of try to get at, and it's ignoring the literal sense. You know, in in a way, it's kind of because like no one's a tree, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, but you, you don't want to go too far with that because I, I was reading the fathers um, for last week, and yeah. someone was interpreting why does why does John the Baptist eat locusts and wild honey? Yeah. And so he's like, well, if you look at locusts, they fly from spot to spot. They're hard to catch. This is just like the sinner who's never at rest in one place, who hops around. Um, but that's actually different. But that's different. How is that different than what's the tree in your life? I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just want you to pull this out a little bit. Um, the the patristic text you just talked about mm-hmm. is exegesis. The thing I'm talking about is what we'd call eisegesis. Yeah. Okay. So exegesis is ex- is revealing the meaning of the text to a person. Mm-hmm. Eisegesis is reading yourself into the text. There you go. I think okay. that's a good distinction. Yeah. Eisegesis is cheap preaching because it puts <laughs> it puts the task of interpretation on the listener which is not their role in like liturgy and stuff like this no the whole role of preaching is in a way a form of exegesis now the other thing i want to kind of point out with this i hope i don't get into too much heat for this uh the literal sense cannot be ignored so a few years ago i saw a video by a bishop baron on violence in scripture and I, I, I think that that should be a topic in and of itself one day. Uh, I don't want to, but I just want to kind of share a, a frustration I had when I saw the video. He talks about, let's look at this. Okay, this, let's look at this now. Let's look at it through the spiritual sense, right? How, how um, the violence of God is, is the hatred of sin, right? And the rebellion of man and stuff like this. And that, that, that kind of, and that gives a spiritual interpretation to God's violence in the Old Testament. True. Fair. The problem was, 
it didn't actually address the fact that God did this. Yeah. It didn't address the literal sense. Mm-hmm. And so this catechism says, no, no, the literal, those spiritual senses can't destroy or ignore the literal sense. It's like the, the grace cannot destroy nature. Mm-hmm. It can only lift it up and build it up. So I think that's always an important principle to keep in mind when we're talking about the literal sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. Let's get into the fun senses, right, though. The fun, sense, the fun senses. All right. So the spiritual senses. Um, so thanks to the unity of God's plan, not only the text of Scripture, but also the ra- realities and events about which it speaks can be signs. There is a whole bunch here. There's a lot of medieval theology behind that statement. I'm not going to go into, but um, this idea that signs, so what's a sign do? Right. You, it, you, by looking at the sign, it points us to something a deeper, you know, when you see a stop sign, this, this, the sign itself is not telling you to stop. It's communicating a principle to stop. It points to something more than itself. You know, the, the stop sign itself doesn't make you stop. It's the principle of stopping that does. This is the idea with scripture too, that there is signs there that can point to deeper spiritual meanings of, of, of the spiritual life. So there are three. So we talked about them. There's the allegorical, the moral, and the anagogical sense. So before I, I uh, do, you, do you know, are you familiar with the, sense, the, the four senses? I am, but sometimes I get the, the, the terminology confused. So, so you, an, anal, yeah. oh, sorry. So allegorical. Um, allegorical, that's kind of like the typology thing, right? Right. Whereas yeah. uh, different figures and events represent or point to other figures and events. So, Great. Um, yeah. you know, the, the one example about um, Christ is the new Adam, or um, if when you. Uh, or uh, Christ as a new Moses, right. um, or a bunch of yeah. different things. Um, yeah. The 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 flood as a sign of baptism, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So the Catechism says this. And that's that's great. Exactly. Um, it says we can acquire a more profound understanding of events by recognizing their significance in Christ. So Christ is the unifying factor between all of salvation history. Which is why we need to understand, incorporate, and imbibe the Old Testament. Right. This is why Marcionism was heresy, which Marcionism rejected the Old Testament. Right. And and we are Marcions. Most Christians are Marcions today. We ignore the Old Testament. Um, we can, but the whole events all make sense properly in Christ. They're deeper spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. So the catechism gives the example too, like the crossing of the Red Sea is a sign or type of Christ's victory and also of Christian baptism. In fact, St. Peter uses that, right? He talks about the crossing of the Red Sea as a sign of baptism, as a type of baptism. Okay, so that's the allegorical sense. Um, The moral sense, what is the moral sense? That's the, what the, uh, how the scripture teaches you how to live, basically. Right, exactly, yeah. And just the same, actually we heard this last Sunday in mass um the second reading from romans 15 um i think it was romans 15 or sorry romans romans 15 from romans from romans um that scripture is for our instruction right right it can and so you this is where the moral like (laughs) and what's interesting is we forget he's talking about the old testament if you look at the literal sense of what saint paul is talking about he's talking about the old testament exactly um so and like so this is where origins like this is where the spiritual sense plays for origin he looks at the 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 plight of israel through the desert as an instruction in the more in the spiritual life of the different stages of the spiritual life so there is a moral but it's it's not just what to do but it's also meant to enlighten and illumine the path to god through not just moral action but more even i'd say go even deeper it's like more not moral like it's not just about being acting justing. It's also about letting the the soul grow closer and more deeply to God. Okay, the last one. This is the always the toughest one for people because it's a hard one to find a, a specific simple word like allegorical sense. We can talk. Yeah, like the spiritual senses. Like when we talk about the spiritual senses, allegorical is mostly the spiritual. Moral sense that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Anagogical. 
What does anagogical mean? I can't remember. I'm not even going to pretend to remember. Okay. It means to lead, right? Anna means like upwards. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anna means upwards. Um, so we can view realities and events in terms of their eternal significance leading us to our true homeland. Thus, uh, the church yeah, yeah. on earth is a sign of the heavenly Jerusalem, right? Or, um, um, you know, when we're... So it looks... I would say it looks towards two things the fulfillment at the end of time and God's coming even now because God's always coming, right? God is always in the process of coming towards us. So it's looking towards eschatology is another way to look at it, an eschatological sense. What is the ultimate definitive meaning? And that's the sense that in a way we will never come to comprehend fully until Christ comes again. Okay, so uh, the catechism goes on to talk about a medieval couplet summarizes the significance of the four senses. The letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, the moral how to act, anagogy our destiny, which is a great little cup, uh, uh, um, couplet to tell. I'm sure it that. sounds great in Latin. Probably. So to conclude what the catechism says, it is the task of exegetes to work according to these rules towards a better understanding and explanation of the meaning of sacred scripture in order that their research may help the church to form a firmer judgment. For, of course, all that has been said about the manner of interpreting Scripture is ultimately subject to the judgment of the Church, which exercises the divinely conferred commission and ministry of watching over and interpreting the work of God. Scripture and the Church go hand in hand. You can't have one yep. without the other because the Holy Spirit works through the Church. Mm -hmm. So I say all this because I think this is how we ought to approach Scripture. So, And I think a great tool to do this would be Lectio Divina. Yeah. Selectio Divina is a process. Uh, I'm not going to go through it all right now because we're running out of time, but Google it. It's very simple. And the whole process is to allow the word to speak to you. So I'll give you an example. I've been preparing this weekend's gospel through Lectio Divina, and I still, I'm still praying over this one phrase from John the Baptist. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Yeah, it's a good right? one. It's a great phrase. Now, here's the literal sense of that, folks. John has baptized Jesus in the Jordan. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. But what's what the scenario? Question, what's the scenario? John's in prison now. We also remember John's a sinner. He's not immaculate like Mary is. Right. I, I, I've, the way it's often interpreted is that he's essentially, it's, it's a moment of doubt. Yeah. And Jesus even, isn't acting according to the way he thought Jesus would. Not even John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets. Jesus is not acting as he thought he would. Or even just, uh, I think about this all the time, the scenario he's in. So he, he's this great preacher calling to repentance. He's not in prison for something grand. He's in prison for telling the king that you shouldn't sleep with your brother's wife. Right. And he's in prison because of the pettiness and smallness of some other man's sin. And mm -hmm. think about how like degrading and sad and how mm -hmm. ordinarily frustrating that is. And disheartening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he, he wasn't and he's just he's tucked away in jail. He doesn't get a glorious mm -hmm. martyrdom or anything like that. He's tucked away in jail. He knows he's seen the Christ, but he's yeah. struggling with this interiorly. I, I love yeah. this scene and that right. honesty of that question. So now, I still actually, like, I've prayed with that phrase for about two hours so far. <laughs> and I'm still praying with it. Because there is something deeper going on there than just what's happening in the text itself. So when you're preaching, yes, you explain, you give them the context and the scenario. But that's the moment then we draw them into a more deeper sense. Now, I think the, the hard part of all of this is that we are so this is so foreign to us now right preaching um like it, it's it, there is a reason like scripture and preaching are incredibly tied hand to hand hand, hand in hand um to preach this way is a significant task that i think the church needs to reintegrate i look at someone like pope benedict who i think does this and did this very well um in a very modern way, but it's something we still haven't been habituated towards. And it can be difficult for people to receive this in a homily. But but I, this is, I don't know, I'm still kind of experimenting with all this, but here's my thought on it. It's that I think it, when you start to delve into the spiritual senses, you start to see deeper connections between the scriptures. And when you start to see this, I think that brings about a delight in the hearer. 
like um you know well, just like, uh, uh so I, yeah. I can't give you a specific example but um cardinal donardo he used to be uh my pastor when i was very young and before i could really appreciate it and uh but he i heard him preach before and yeah. it's amazing because uh he's he's very steeped in the fathers and yeah. he doesn't uh, very often at least in my experience tell a story or do any of the other rhetorical things right. that make a homily interesting he just dives right into what's going on and it's incredibly compelling and yeah. part of that is the energy with which he he preaches and is mm-hmm. there's a personal charisma there which the holy spirit will work through but when you get a piece of scripture that you're befuddled by or you've heard a thousand times and it's not doing anything for you and someone can open that up exactly and show you the life that's within it there's a surprise in there there's a delight in there that renews a hope right as well it's like oh there's actually a lot more i can get into oh wow this is actually speaking to my heart so Mm -hmm. it delights it opens up a new realm of hope and it points you and gives you an experience I think this is a big thing in preaching as well. It will give you an experience of the presence of Christ as well. Exactly. And I think it's, when you start to do this, I think it just becomes like a natural thing where this is where we start to, where truth then becomes more important than praxis just by osmosis for people. Mm -hmm. And here's the big reason why I'm talking about this. Sacramental worldview. Yep. This is huge for this. Mm -hmm. This, there is a reason why the fathers preached this way in the medievals and why they also had a sacramental worldview. If we want to re-enchant the world, we need to show people that the spiritual is actually alive and active and working. Yeah. And that could, but this is the difficult part for us priests. And this is what's been put on my heart a lot more is I need to pray a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> and by this, I mean like when I'm prepping for a homily, I should be like, I should be sitting with the text for about five or six hours a week. Right, because that not sounds excessive, but it's like no, no. It's then, and yes, you can bring your commentaries into that with it and everything like that, right? Like, you, you know, I do that when I go in for time to pray because it helps me delve deeper. But I need to give, I need to give God time to speak to my sinful heart that is rebellious and and hesitant to want to listen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. No, yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, because I mean, especially someone like you, you're very capable of reading an academic article. You can pull some good stuff from it real quick, mm-hmm. slap together a homily, and it'd be yeah. good by a lot yeah. of people's standards. But that's not the standard that God is using or asking of us. Uh, there's no shortcuts in the spiritual life. There's no s- shortcuts in God working on your heart. Um, but the thing about it is when you're doing it, it's delightful. Yeah. It's uh, because it's being revealed to you as you pray. Um, I mean, it has all these personal implications to your own personal spiritual life as well. Mm-hmm. And then you get to share um, the ways in which God is, is taking everything that's going on in your heart. And he also has something in there to offer to his people. And there's nothing better than struggling over a scripture passage mm-hmm. for a few hours. And then finally, like the light just like just dawns yeah. in your heart. And you're like, oh, this is it. Yeah. And it, it's it's such a confirmation that God speaks and works and has something to say to your people. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, the discipline of, of, of sitting down and doing it can be difficult, but the actual mm-hmm. experience of it is incredibly rewarding, um, yeah. both for yourself and for your people. So my encouragement is, if you want to delve into this, first, read those passages from the Catechism. Secondly, start doing more Lexio. Third, there's other places and spaces where I'm sure you can find out about the Four Senses. So Google that stuff. It's very easy to find. Um, this is the heart of Catholic theology. Like, and this is the other thing, because like theology must always take Scripture absolutely seriously. Mm-hmm. Because it's the content. It's the matter. It's the, the meat. By which we come to all our doctrine of the church. Yeah. Cool. That was fun. Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. You can email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clericallyspeaking. And to remember that anything in excess of what we need for our expenses gets donated to the missionaries of charity. You can find me at Fr Harrison on Twitter. You can find me at Father Sharap on Twitter, and you can find both of us alive and in person at SLS Twenty. Hey, we, is, we should what? actually say when our when our when our uh, time is. Uh, well, first of all, SLS Twenty is December thirtieth through January first yep. in Phoenix, Arizona. Where are we? We've got like a. I like think we're on January second. All right, folks. So we are scheduled to record on January second. 
at 12.30 p.m. There you go. So January 2nd at 12.30 p.m. So they have like a special podcasting booth. Yeah, where it's we like a, it's like go a podcasting fishbowl. Yeah. So you and will you guys see and all... hear us. We will see but not hear you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and we'll be we're gonna be around. So come meet and us. Should we should we should we give them a little little insight what our topic's gonna be? Yeah, give a little give a little teaser. Well, just t- vocation discernment 2.0. Yeah. It's gonna be fun, folks. We're we're doing some reading and researching. It's gonna be fun, and we have a few other little surprises as well. Right. So and make you can sure be surprised, to come up. Or <laughs> you can be surprised or not so surprised at how much Nick does to edit this podcast because we will yes. be live and unedited, and it will be awesome. <laughs> and we'll find out how much he edited this ending here. Uh, yeah. But also, um, the other thing is we will be. Um, I just had this thought. Anyways, oh yeah. So if you're if you're gonna be there, come and say hi. We'll have stickers and stuff like that. Uh, if you're not going, but you know a friend who's coming, tell them to come and check out the podcast when we're there, or tell them to come and say hi to us. We're there the entire week. We're gonna have some fun together. It's gonna be a great time. So, yeah, I guess that's it. God bless y'all. Peace.